All right, John, let's go. Let's go. We got to get ready for the super speedway. We've got the we've got the pole position, and we got to get ready. We got to get you, ready. What are you talking about? The air is dirty, John. The air is dirty, and our condition is loose. <laughs> Eric, I've never heard you use these words before. Well, let's go. And what's with the decals all over you? We got sponsors, John. We are ready to go here at the Super Speedway. We got to get in that victory lane. Woo! Okay, I think I see what happened here. You got possessed by a demon. A speed demon. I don't know anything about that, John. We got to go with it. It's tight in here. Okay. Well, normally I'm against demons and would have you exercise, but... I really can't say no to all these sponsorships. So uh, let's go. Let's ride. All right. Cheers, mate. Hi, and welcome to The Terror Test. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And as fans of horror, our job is to weigh the merits of films based on three categories, production, monster quality, and scare factor, to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. In this podcast, we'll put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next, what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready, and begin. Okay, well, welcome back to our uh, study of dead blondes and bad mothers. Yeah. So we are past the introduction now and on to chapter one, uh, which is about puberty. Yep. Are you ready to become a man <laughs> or a woman? Um, yeah, I'm ready to cross that threshold. Good. Um, okay. So uh, our two movies today are Ginger Snaps and The Right. And so uh, you want to begin with Ginger Snaps? Yep. So let's look at uh, the background. Yes, so Ginger Snaps was originally released in 2000, directed by John Fawcett and written by John Fawcett and Karen Walton, starring Emily Perkins as Bridget, Catherine Isabel as Ginger, and Mimi Rogers as Pamela. Okay, let's look at production. The film is timeless in the power and effectiveness of its writing, direction, acting, cinematography, special effects, iconography, and portrayal of its subject matter. So why is it that Canada... Has all the best actors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think the acting stands out in this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're not just your normal like precocious kids, but I feel like there's a weight mm-hmm. to them, um, and they do a fantastic job. Yeah, um, I especially like how um, Emily Perkins and Mimi Rogers are kind of playing like a level of campiness. Mm-hmm. to it that mm-hmm. um i don't think as many of the other characters are playing but um i think it works i i really like the shifts in tone in the movie um and i think i read where it it feels maybe it's even in here where if in the book where it feels like an episode of buffy 
you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's like the closest thing to compare it to. Yeah, and I think even Buffy has, uh, it's like a near level of campiness, and I think it really shows too with some of the other characters when they're on like the track field slash, mm-hmm. what are they playing, field hockey? Field hockey, yeah. yeah. Of course, yeah, Canadian, it has to be hockey-related somehow. But yeah. um, but I feel like we get that with some of the other characters, like how extreme the like the the mean girl looks and bully. Uh, yeah, are. yeah, that's true. Um, but I don't think that takes away from the story at all. It's like it almost uses that as a window for like the believability of yes, yeah, sure, she's changing into a wolf. That's fine. Like yeah, it's like a heightened reality. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think it works mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the story that's there. I mean, you've got like the. It's almost like uh, like a cast from Dazed and Confused uh, in a bit because you have like the like the older drug dealer mm-hmm. uh, guy who kind of creepily hangs around, um, who seems he's just he's just there because he's just really interested in landscaping <laughs> 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 and like in growing. <laughs> yeah, and then you have the like um, bros. Uh-huh. Uh, are there and just I mean are, surely they have to be in some kind of class they can't just be sitting on the bleachers ogling the girls gym period no I think they're there just ogling the girls gym period <laughs> yeah I don't think they're like out with a sick note or anything yeah. in gym class I don't know maybe it's their study hall who knows there are very few adults yeah. <laughs> in this movie <laughs> And the same thing, it's like, why isn't somebody saying something about this, like, weird landscaping van that seems to... Mm-hmm. He's not really doing much work. Yeah. So it's a little goofy. Um, yeah. But, you know, it plays with a lot of, like, the tropes of uh, yeah. kind of teenage movies. Um, you know, like, uh, boys and girls liking each other. Um, you have the transformation of... A dorky girl into a popular girl. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, I don't know if she's necessarily popular, but just like conventionally, she she transforms into like what's conventionally pretty and mm-hmm. um, assertive and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Which it, I I feel like is very, I don't know, I I don't know if it's as much of a high school thing as much of like a middle school thing. It's like when. Maybe it is at the beginning of high school, too. It's like when boys and girls start noticing each other um, after puberty. And it's like, I guess she's technically one of the, they're like the last ones. Yeah. Is is the through line. They're strangely late in their development. Right. Um, But I guess it's fine because they wanted to make it about high school. And like, you know, Carrie... Yeah, that's a, true. A similar situation, and so like it. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, it it definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, you have like she's all that. I mean, how many movies have uh, you know characters who all of a sudden just with a little touch up, it's they glow up. Yeah, you know, really, they just take off the hooded sweatshirt and they're and, like and oh. glasses. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely playing with some of those teenage tropes, but I think in a thoughtful way, um, 
And what makes it unique, I think, is the relationship between the sisters. Yes. If it, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think if it had just been one uh, character, it would be a completely different movie. Yeah. You like, wouldn't have like that tension of like leaving her best friend or her best friend and sister behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their obsession with death, um, which is sort of like, it's sort of played for laughs, I think. Um, because of, of how into it they are and how repulsed, uh, like the teacher is and everything. Um, when they recreate death scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's something that made me like immediately like them Mm -hmm. because they're living in this perfect suburbia. Um, and they're, they're obsessed with, with death and dying in, in a creative way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it doesn't feel like they're whiny about it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like they're very likable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's relatable because, yeah, when you're a teenager, you're moody, you're angsty. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have some like death poetry that we could probably pull up if we wanted. So, yeah, I, I feel like um, that kind of makes the movie stand out. Yeah. And that that's the thing is that they're just – Already as a teenager, you feel like an outsider. You feel different than everybody else. And they, instead of trying to f- trying to fit in, they just go further to the outside, which I feel like is a normal reaction. I, I feel like we have students who, who do that. Like they don't try to push in. They try to push out. Right. Although that's I, why, but that, that's I what would makes say for likeable. Ginger, though, I mean, I well, think after, she, yeah, yeah I, I think once she... Um, it's like the exact same time she menstruates, she gets bitten by or scratched by a mm-hmm. werewolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, there's definitely the connection that's, you know, obvious in the movie that, you know, undergoing puberty, you know, is is like transforming. It's a monstrous into, transformation. Yeah. Yeah. A monster. So um, I think it I think it works. I mean. There have been other movies that have kind of played with this, I think, um, but not with the same depth and intelligence like Teen Wolf, you know, (laughs) is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. probably the more popular example, but it's also really shallow compared to this. Yeah. You know, that because that one's like, look how cool. Now he has wolf powers. He can play basketball well. Yeah. And well, but like you said, it doesn't explore it with the same amount of depth because he does have to come around and like, you know, be comfortable being himself, you know, at the end, he has to win the game without the wolf powers, but that's not where this one goes. It's like, it's more about their connection and not just being comfortable with yourself, but being comfortable with yourself after the transformation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so actually that's really interesting to compare the two because in teen wolf, you know, um, it's a man who, who is transformed, and and then this it's it's uh, women, and they very much like hide, mm-hmm. like their transformation, like it's mm-hmm. something that is meant to be suppressed, mm-hmm. meant to be hidden, um, 
Whereas, yeah, in, in yeah, the he has to like show out and people like it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like the exact opposite, right? For the you know, for a different gender. Yeah, and so um, I guess we can we can talk more about its connection to the book and monster quality, perhaps. Yeah, I think, but we're. Um, Oh, yeah, what else about production? Um, Special effects, we got to talk about the transformation. Okay. Um, I think how, how do you feel about the look of the wolf? I, I love how it's all practical, and that yeah. was still intentional. Like, the director chose to not use any CGI, which mm-hmm. would have made it look worse, but honestly, the effects are kind of cheesy here. Yeah, it reminds me of um, Dead Alive style. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like with the with the with the play foam rubber kind of look, but I like that the the look of the wolf in this is not like crazy hairy. It's like this yeah. weird skin creature, which mm-hmm. makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um it's, it's a lot of work your body has to do to get all that hair. Right. Right? So just yeah. breaking the bones, they, I guess. They more look like those hairless cats. Yeah. Which are creepy. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes sense. Um, what about the train? Because all like we've noted before with werewolf movies is that they're, you know, it's you're always going to look to that transformation sequence, that first payoff. transformation, right? Yeah. That doesn't happen in this movie until I would say like an almost an hour in, mm-hmm. which I really appreciate because you have all that build up and character development where it is really part of the climax. Yeah. And it's also, I think, a little confusing using to exactly how it works because throughout the movie like once she gets attacked throughout the movie she sort of becomes more and more wolf-like mm-hmm. like she Craze starts blood and meat yeah and, and grows fangs uh-huh. and she starts to grow hair out of her wounds oh what yeah happens yeah, to yeah. That? oh that's true i don't know where does that hair go i don't know because she, she like yeah she has to like cover it up right yeah yeah so like kind of the rule and, and but they talk about like a full moon but mm-hmm. like she still has those werewolf features when it's not a full moon and so it's I think a little un uh, inconsistent with creating like rules about werewolves but it also is just kind of relying on what we already know and to 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 like tell the story Mm -hmm. so i don't think it's it's really interested in exploring like the werewolf mythos so much it's using the metaphor using the metaphor yeah to to show puberty is monstrous yeah because in like with puberty you get weird hairs in new places yeah you know um you 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 start feeling different your body changes and so like that's more what makes the movie like the story work rather than trying to you know have rather than trying to focus on the mythology of the werewolf Mm -hmm. and that's where i like you know the idea of the tale Right, oh, yeah, and it's tale, a symbol, right. like the the idea that you you are different, you look different, you feel different, and you're trying to hide it, but it's impossible to hide. Yeah, uh, I like, and they they play with it. It's not just a one time thing in the movie. I I like that they like play with that 
throughout. Yeah. Um, she knows she's different. She's feeling different and mm-hmm. she tries to cover it up, but it doesn't matter because it's still there. Like, right. And I, I like and, that. In one uh, subplot, it becomes like an STD where mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. infects uh, one of the boys, one of the bros, mm-hmm. and he becomes like a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, he's got like this like gross acne. Yeah. Like they, they, they go ahead and kind of like let that the male counterpart come in, mm-hmm. and he's somehow having it worse. Yeah, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah, so um, if you if you're focusing on it from like the perspective of this is a movie about puberty, um, then I, I think it works really really well. Um, and yeah, I think I'm going to give it a point. Yeah, I think I am too. I mean, even for the like you said, the campiness of the story, as well as some of the features uh, of like the special effects and stuff, I'm I'm completely okay with it. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a point as well. Yeah. So let's talk about monster quality. The film's monsters are frightening and clearly relate to archetypal fears and have depth. Okay. So kind of continue with that idea of the werewolf as the metaphor. I, I think it has appropriate depth. They explore. Yeah. And that's kind of what Sadie. Put her, they put her in a lot of situations. Yeah. I think is what I want to say. And that's kind of what Sadie Doyle is talking about in her chapter about puberty is that it's it's about this transition period in which women are not quite children, but not quite women, mm-hmm. and that that lack of, of categorization um, makes men fearful. Yeah, and this... This movie, the depiction of the werewolf fits that exactly. Like we yeah. were just talking about, she's kind of got fangs, kind of got a tail, kind of got some hair. Mm-hmm. She's not quite a girl, not quite a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember that Britney Spears song. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and then when she, like her, per, as far as her personality goes, she she um, kind of transforms into what I think society would fear that like mm. their daughters would transform and fear like innocent women transforming into like apex predator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and passing diseases on to men and, uh-huh. and that kind of thing. Um, so they become dangerous once they, once they hit puberty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's part of what her argument is in this mm-hmm. uh, chapter. So yeah, I, I think, you know, there, there's a great connection between, you know, the book and, and the movie. And so there's, you know, there, there's a lot of depth there. Yeah. I think that this movie in particular, even more than the right, um, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. a lot with that, I, I feel like this movie in particular really complements what she says in that chapter, like yeah. you said. And I think it is a nice pickup from the, from the introduction, what we were talking about with Firestarter, the idea that you know, a female is sort of put in the cage uh, not to torture her, but for fear of what she will become and the power that she has. And I think that's what this movie is about, too. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. So I, I want to give it a point for monster quality. I like this depiction of the werewolf. I think it's a fun uh, take because of its subtle differences. And it's not just like, you know, one of my complaints about, uh, I, I love the movie uh, American Werewolf in London, mm-hmm. but I wish there was more wolf stuff. 
Do you know what I mean? Like sure. you don't get really much of it until the very end, which I, I love that movie, but mm-hmm. as a movie, not so much as a werewolf movie. One question that I have is near the end, um, Bridget and her mom are in the car looking for Ginger and they have a scene where the mom blames herself. She's like, I'm responsible for this. And Bridget says, no, you're not. And the mom doubles down and says like, yes, this is all my fault. Um, I thought it was going to go in the direction that like, she's a werewolf or something mm. like it, it was it, it's like genetic rather than um you know a bite from this random creature and, and i'm i guess i'm glad it didn't go that direction but like um i don't know what what was that conversation about why do you think she assigned so much of the blame to herself there i think because she takes it personally that she didn't teach uh her daughters she didn't tell them the truth she kind of like sheltered them from the truth about what that moment would be mm-hmm. and i feel like the, it's definitely a parody with the it's with the guidance counselor and the mom they seem really like on the surface very open to talk about these changes and mm-hmm. like go into the biology and it's like no you should celebrate your femininity and womanhood and stuff like that but it feels fake to the girls and yeah. not a truth. It's just another like facade to avoid talking about what's actually happening. Yeah. And I thought that was I thought that was an interesting take because I feel like the pendulum keeps swinging from like no, don't talk about it. Let's mm-hmm. talk about it behind closed doors. So like let's just talk about it and be proud. Mm-hmm. But we don't always get to the truth of the impact and the effect that it's having on the kids. I'm thinking for like both boys and girls. Yeah. Like on, on the individual, it's not what they needed. Right. Right. So maybe that's what she's internalizing is the, mm-hmm. you know, a guilt that she's feeling that she didn't have a very like honest conversation and mm-hmm. listen to her daughter. She's yeah. trying to tell her what it was like for her, mm-hmm. the mom, but not actually having a conversation with her daughter. Yeah. Which I think adds another level mm-hmm. or another layer. Yeah. I was, I was trying to, like determine like I'm glad you what, brought that up. what's this trying to say about like women and I don't know I, I think it has something to say about her character which yeah yeah um is is great yeah I, I like that explanation yeah and the dad the dad's just completely oblivious. detached and oblivious yeah. yeah which again I think again goes to that campiness with both I mean I think the parents need to be flat it needs to be like Charlie Brown like wah, 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 kind yeah of. Because they're not important in the movie. It's well, the kids that are important. I, I would say with the mom, though, she tries. She tries and she sees that she fails. Yeah. And so I think there is some growth there. But, yeah, it's um, it's mostly about these two girls. Yeah. So. But I think that's commentary on just, like, how I think the movie is trying to send a message about, like, how this topic should be mm-hmm. addressed and confronted in, like, in productive, meaningful ways. Yeah. That's part of why I like it. Yeah. I mean, to tell you the truth, like, so as a dad of two daughters, whew, I, I, I know I like to say that I mm-hmm. will approach it openly and yeah, and like you know I'm kind of I'm not shy about talking like biology mm-hmm. that doesn't really bother me so much, but it's the better question I think which comes up in this movie is that will they want to talk to me about it? Yeah. If not, that's fine. You know, it's yeah. like 
it's more of the listening, I think, yeah. than the talking. Um, I think you should show them this movie when they come to the beach. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Oh, I, I didn't tell you. I had to take down. CD's at a weird part. She likes monster stuff. Uh huh. But like the watered down kind of cartoon version. Oh, yeah, of course. But like, you know, that like the big Dracula mask that I got that's uh-huh. like the retro thing. I'd take that down because she got scared. Oh. So I'm kind of like. Not going that route. We'll see in 10 years okay. where she's at. But yeah. see if I can bring the mask out of the basement. <laughs> but I was going to share that. Like, she's had these weird Dracula dreams lately, not mm. to go into it, but she's kind of freaked out right now. Yeah. I wonder if, um, like, Hotel Transylvania or something would like. She likes that. Okay. Yeah. She's down with that. Yeah. So that's like friendly Dracula. Yeah. It's that. And then there's these, like, it's a show. On Netflix, it's like monster babies, basically. <laughs> There's like these <laughs> like these kids that are go to monster preschool. Okay. There's yeah. like a Dracula and a werewolf and a mummy. And... Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, scare points factor. for monster quality. So, yeah, let's talk about Scare Factor. All right, so Scare Factor, we're looking to see that this uh, the scares are intentional and effective from beginning to end. Uh, this wasn't a scary movie. For me. No, I, that's another thing. I mean, it didn't even have really the tension so much that we're looking for. I think it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth honorable honorable mention. I think so too. It's, it's, um, I would recommend it to a lot of people. I would say this is it's definitely one of the best werewolf movies. Yes, um, and also one of the best portrayals of puberty as something that's monstrous. Yes. It's a, that's the thing. It's got monster quality in spades. Yeah. But um, it, but scare factor is not there. Right. Yeah. So no this, The gore is good. The kill scenes are good. But it's just like throughout it doesn't have yeah. consistency. Yeah. So you good with honorable mention? I oh, Absolutely. Cool. I would easily recommend this movie. So uh, let's move on now to The Right, um, which was released in... Uh, 2011, directed by Mikhail Hafström, written by Michael Petroni, and inspired by the book, um, written by Matt Baglio, starring Anthony Hopkins as Father Lucas, Colin O'Donohue as Michael Kovac, Alicia Braga as Angeline, Kieran Hines as Father Xavier, Toby Jones as Father Matthew, Rucker Hauer as Istvan Kovac, um let's get into production okay uh i mean it's got great actors in it yeah it's kind of a stacked cast yeah i i even like who's the actor that plays the young priest um colin o'donohue yeah i think he i think he nails it kind of angsty for being kind of a young um sort of bland yeah guy yeah i think he does fine yeah um yeah, I think other production stuff. What did you think about the look of Anthony Hopkins once he's possessed near the end? Okay, the, so the eye makeup thing—it's like it's inconsistent with the other possession yes, stuff that happens that's in the movie. Exactly. It's like right. why I, I I don't understand that choice. It dramatizes that last exorcism in a way that felt very Hollywood. Yeah, and hokey. 
because the the exorcism or, or the possession scenes with the pregnant woman I think are it, it's the strongest part of the movie yes for me um, because throughout there's the question of what is actually happening mm-hmm. um, and everything is like realistic and still kind of horrifying mm-hmm. like the way she contorts her body especially mm-hmm. like as a pregnant woman like that's that's disturbing to see and, and i like how it didn't go the like in other movies even with the exorcism of emily rose it, it almost goes i don't know if some of that cgi but it looks kind of cartoony the way that she bends herself or if yeah. she's like crawling on the walls or the ceilings yeah, and stuff like her head's not spinning and you know. uh, yeah i like that this movie kind of keeps it grounded mm-hmm. until yeah the end yeah and it takes away it does um i so i, I told you that i i just saw a a movie that was recommended in the book that maybe we'll talk about um called requiem and what i really loved about that was how you could read the movie as uh, as just a, a girl who's struggling, you know, um, and you can do it with the pregnant woman here, but you can't do it with Anthony Hopkins. Like for that, it becomes black and white, and mm. it even has like the in the confrontation, you know, the moment where he's like, "I believe in you," which means I believe in God, and that's like. Just like the final knockout punch and like the music is and, and the way that it's shot, like everything is um, trying to convey the sense of like a fight scene. Mm, and mm. I think that that's like, I don't know, an interesting choice, but not one that really jives well with the rest of them of this movie i think i think that's the thing that inconsistency it takes us out of where the movie pulls us in from the beginning it's so grounded so realistic yeah because uh, i was thinking about like the the exorcist three mm-hmm. right so kind of similar there's a there's a priest possessed he's mm-hmm. in the sanitarium um and it gets real like cartoony and trippy yeah. Right at the end, but it feels okay because it's it's it starts out that way. It's like it's you're, never, yeah, it's never really in doubt that there is a demon possessing him. Right. Yeah. And I like the part of the story in this movie. I like that Anthony Hopkins gets possessed because I I like the idea that no matter where like what level of priesthood they're at, they're still susceptible to that corruption to the possession. I yeah. think that's a cool. There, yeah, it's, it's like, like doubt can rest in anybody's mm-hmm. faith. I think that's a good direction to take it, but it doesn't need that the Hollywood pizzazz. Yeah, I I agree. Um, so that kind of undoes a lot of the goodwill that um, yeah. the first part of the movie built up. But in connection, so the story in the right, I think in connection with what uh, Doyle talks about in the book, is kind of the classic through line for exorcist movies right is it's a battle versus of science versus religion it's a a, you know psychology um versus really psychology versus catholicism yeah but in this movie 
we don't see science fail. Like mm -hmm. in The Exorcist, we see her get tested. We see mm -hmm. just meeting after meeting uh, of people being unable to explain what's happening. Mm -hmm. Here, we never, we, we never get that. And so we never see science fail so that faith can uh, emerge. You don't think that's what happens at the end? This like sort of his science psychology background sort of fail or just he stays he kind of stays I, faithful to it and then also I don't know I had accepts. a little bit of trouble buying his um, his struggle mm. especially so especially with the very beginning and the like set of coincidences that happen that mm. cause him to stay mm -hmm. in the priesthood. Like, that felt way too uh, supernatural, way too early. Yeah, yeah, the, like, getting hit by the it's, bus. It's very contrived. Yeah, yeah. And then um, also with, like, hearing his father on the phone, which I really love that scene. It's very creepy. Um, it also feels like, you know, by that time he's sort of acting like a believer, even if he's not necessarily, like, Mm. A believer. Mm -hmm. And so I just I don't think there's if you're gonna make this about science versus faith, you I think you have to present both sides equally, at least at first. And I just I don't think you have enough of the science mm -hmm. here. Um I mean and they, they they made the choice, you know she had already seen psychiatrists like they talk about it, mm -hmm. you know, and supposedly the proof is that, you know, she knows things that she couldn't possibly know, but I don't know. I just, I wanted more, um, kind of, of the questioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I, I agree. There's some inconsistencies in the story that, aside from just loving Anthony Hopkins in this role, like I, I like his uh, up until that point when he's possessed, I like that priest character that he's playing. I do too. I think it's great. <laughs> just so like matter of fact, and he seems so sure in his faith mm -hmm. uh, throughout that, that yeah. kind of comes off as a, as a surprise at the end, but yeah. And, and I like the almost documentary style, like mm -hmm. not that it's, you know, there's a lot of like handheld camera or anything, but just, um, you know, the idea of someone kind of following him around and seeing him in action, seeing him both like perform what seems like a real exorcism and also, you know, kind of doing like magic, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. like, like clearly illusion stuff mm -hmm. um, with the kid. Like I thought all that stuff was really into it, it interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of falls apart. Mm hmm. Yeah, so I don't think I want to give it a point. I don't think I am either. It. I wanted to give a give it a point for most of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, because this movie I think has like scored really low on like Metacritic and and everything, and I don't think it's like that bad, but mm -hmm. it's not quite enough to give it a point. Yeah. Okay. What about so, monster quality? So let's talk. Let's talk about um, 
kind of possession as the monster. I so I've always liked the exorcists. I'm fascinated by the idea of possession. Like a lot of people, I think. I think it's one of those like phenomenon in in the world that <laughs> that discussion of psychology and faith I don't think that matters <laughs> because because I think people experience whatever they're experiencing and it doesn't matter how you view it. Do you know what I mean? Like there there's this thing that happens with people. Not all people. Um and some people go to a psychiatrist mm-hmm. to, you know, try to interpret that. And then mm-hmm. some people see a priest. I don't, it doesn't matter. But I, I think the problem is in the book, like with the, the real life case that happened, was that the parents of the young girl, uh, Annalise Michelle, yeah. like she had epilepsy. Her parents were treating it like a possession. That I I feel like is different. I'm th- I'm trying to think of uh, more like in, in the the documentary I was talking about the um, the father of uh, Amort. Yeah, I I didn't get to watch um, it. <clears throat> it does a so it's William Freakin and he's doing um, he is doing a documentary following this uh, this priest who's been an exorcist. I think how many years like seventy years or okay. something like that, and actually films. Uh, an exorcism and you can tell like this woman is like she is feeling as if she's possessed the people around her are convinced that she's possessed and she's like working through it and and that's fine I think yeah I think there's a fine line you bring up a good point about like uh, an actual medical diagnosis that needs to see and and I think I think this movie gives it like good lip service, like it, mm-hmm. it does talk about it. I would like to, I, I would have liked to have seen it more, like seen like some of the testing or, or whatever. But I think it does in a, in a way that not many other exorcist or possession movies have done is like look at it through the contemporary lens of the Catholic Church mm-hmm. and like talking about. Um, how to confirm an exorcism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that part is kind of what sets this movie as a possession movie apart. Yeah. Because I, I can't really think of another instance in which it was, it, it's been presented in, in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. Where it, it spends enough time on that part. A lot yeah. of times that's rushers. Like they just quickly go to, Nope. Yep. She's, she's possessed. Yeah. They'll have so, some like crazy, like the climbing on the wall they, spider thing. They talk about it, um, but I mean, it's it, it's engaging conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's it's good conversation. Um, again, by the end, it does kind of devolve into it just loses like its a quality. fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, I don't know. Um, the let's see why Sadie Doyle specifically picked this movie because she said that some of the movies in here she doesn't or some of the resources she doesn't necessarily agree with Mm -hmm. but they're um they're useful in the discussion yeah Um, I think she talks a lot about the exorcism of Emily Rose yes she kind of drops that 
quite and a the bit. Exorcist. And The Exorcist. I think what, you know, the differences that get explored in this movie is you have an adult woman, um, but then also the male priest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Here, I'll, I'll read the explanation here, which I think is, okay. it, it brings up something we haven't talked about, but it's, it's really good. Uh, based on the memoirs of an exorcist, making it useful as a document of the church's viewpoint contains a rare instance of exorcism subtext, a foreign entity being removed from a woman's body by male professionals being made text in the person of a possessed pregnant teen girl who's been raped by her father. Because we do get that with um, mm-hmm. like the young priest, like he... It, Kovac te- is able to tell like that she's been raped mm-hmm. and so like that's his initial explanation for mm-hmm. it and so I think that's interesting as opposed to like Reagan who is pretty much a happy-go-lucky kid like there are signs that maybe because of a divorce she's acting out at first mm-hmm. but um, looking at like someone who by any means sh- you know could have PTSD or, you know, mm-hmm. some, some kind of extreme psychosis or something because of what happened to her. Like, I, I think this movie addresses that in a really interesting way. Yeah. And I think what I like about, uh, Doyle's discussion of that is that she draws the parallels between that and poltergeists. So the idea that there's unrest mm-hmm. and then it manifests itself in some way. So I feel like the exorcist that's kind of more the poltergeist route. I know it's mm-hmm. not a poltergeist, but like it's the unrest that causes it versus like being like, I don't know, being, um, I don't know, like taken by something mm-hmm. like just out of the blue. Yeah. Um, through no fault of their own. Right, right. Yeah. Which I feel like is, the exorcism of Emily Rose does it kind of go that route? I think maybe like she's just so. an innocent that gets taken. Isn't yeah, that? I don't. <clears throat> or maybe they just there's something. In, don't they decide that maybe there's something in the home that might cause it? Something with her dad? I can't remember. I mean, we did the movie, but it didn't make it into the canon because for me, it wasn't very memorable. No, it was like watching an episode of Law and Order. Yeah. Um, but. I think what maybe uh, differentiates this movie from, say, The Exorcist is that you do get, so it is an an older woman, even though The Exorcist was based on uh, like a young boy. I think we talked about before how that's an interesting choice Mm -hmm. for Reagan to be a girl. Um, Yeah. And this, um, so so this movie brings it up that... um, after the exorcist the majority of what like the the requests for exorcisms mm, dramatically rose yeah and also um it became where 75 percent of um the the people that are pretend like claim to be possessed are women yeah and because because of one movie because of the exorcist like mm-hmm. that's it's the same as Jaws, where, like, after Jaws, like, the number of sharks that have been hunted and killed, like, went up dramatically. Like, the fear of shark attacks went up mm-hmm. dramatically, even though 
the number of actual shark attacks and you know are, are relatively low. Mm -hmm. Like and so it's just interesting to see that like these for for, for Doyle to point out that like um, this is is a movie that became such a phenomenon that it actually has affected our perception in the real world of uh, the way that we. Uh, behave or the way that we believe in something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, didn't she talk about too? It's like the um, the quote unquote symptoms that people show are sort of based off the movie. Like, yeah, um, even subconsciously, even if they've never seen the movie before, because it's such a part of our culture that's mm -hmm. like that's what we see as exorcism. So then, when people are acting possessed, consciously yeah. or subconsciously, they they kind of show those symptoms. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Which is, that's so crazy. That's why you need to watch the that um, that documentary because there's this part, and I'm trying to decide if it is, is like something that was edited and done in post, but when, um, when the woman is like screaming and yelling in it, it's got this weird guttural like tritone voice thing. It sounds like it's fake, but I think... They they say yeah. that it's real, just the way she's yelling. Okay, well, wh what about this? Um, you know, what if we stick with this chapter uh, for one more episode and we, we talk about that? We can also talk about Requiem. Yeah, I think so. Um, and even Poltergeist, if you want. Sure. I haven't seen the remake of Poltergeist, have you? We, we also haven't done the original. Oh, we haven't done the original? No. Uh, we can. I don't know if it's going to do well, but we can. I think we have, I mean, yeah, we, we have, have to sometime. Yeah, we do have to. So, yeah. So, do yeah, we let's do Poltergeist and Requiem and then uh, extra credit for Father the Devil and Father Amor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which probably won't be up for entry into the canon, but maybe into like the Bibliodrome just, or wherever. Oh, sure. I didn't even think about that, but yeah. I just, it's just a, fascinating documentary yeah. no um, I, I really want to see it now that you because about. it I, I don't know that we've talked about just like possession as a subgenre before <laughs> but i feel like that's a good one worth exploring yeah i mean i feel you know we've, we've seen done individual movies yeah we, we did the exorcist we did the exorcist three um the black coat's daughter is an exorcism you know mm -hmm. uh wreck two like so there are movies that that's like true. touch on the subject um but yeah, it, viewing it through the lens of, of this book, though, is so fascinating yeah. because it's just looking at it in a, in a totally new way. It, it reminds me of the way that we can break down sort of like ghosts and like haunting movies, mm -hmm. not just poltergeist, but just haunting movies about it's like we've figured out like the pattern. Right. So mm -hmm. there has to be sort of a susceptible, innocent or young child. Yeah. It's going to start with them and then things are going to start happening around the house. And then mm -hmm. usually... It is the female who yeah. notices it first. And I feel yeah. like there's a lot of parallels between that and the, yeah. the Exorcist too. Are there any movies you can think of where it is other than this one with the the male priest and maybe the Exorcist with um, oh, I can't remember his name, Father, who's the the younger priest? Yeah, I don't remember, but, uh, but I know yeah, what you're talking about. He kind of gets possessed at the end, and well, in and Exorcist also, three. Yeah, any other male? possessions you can think of no i mean it's so rare it's not like it's not like ghost haunting like yeah i'm gonna embody but like a true and, possession and movie where it's not like the devil's advocate where al pacino like 
is literally the devil, not a guy no, possessed no. by the yeah, devil. Yeah, no. But, but it's like a possession movie that follows that formula, yeah. but it's with a male possessed. Yeah. I like, can't who's not a priest. Yeah. I can't think of one. I can't either. We can maybe dig into that. But yeah, I think it's worth pursuing. So what do you think? Do you want to give the right a point for monster quality? I'm inclined to do that. I am too. Because I I like some of the content of the conversations. I feel mm-hmm. like it touches upon a lot of the the archetypal fears yeah. of being possessed, taken taken by another kind of I think in in light of just the the monster and, and of possession, yeah. Um I think it is a, a good companion to other possession possession movies. So yeah, I, I want to give it a point for monster quality. All right. So what about scare factor? No. It has, has scary moments, but it's not scary overall. Yeah. I, I will say the, the conversation with the father is really creepy. The pregnant woman, the scenes with her uh, at times are really creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Can I say from beginning to end? No. No. Right. It tries, but it's not successful. I think I think if you're a fan of the subgenre, it's one you need to watch. Yeah, I would. I would but I I wouldn't put it at the the top of the list for sure. No, it's almost like we need to do that. We need to go through our subgenres and do like a mini, oh, like, like top three or top five. Yeah, within so a uh, top five werewolves, top five vampires, yeah. top five ghosts, top five. That might be a good way to like weed through the canon. Yeah, that'd be good because it's gotten, you know, to be quite a long list now. Yeah, it's pretty hefty. Yeah. Cool. All All right. right. Next time, Requiem and... Poltergeist? Poltergeist. The original. And the devil and father, Amor. Mm -hmm. If you want to follow along in our conversation because it's definitely going to come up. Um, And we'll just, yeah, stick with this chapter in the book. So no need to do any extra reading just yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can read ahead. It's okay. It's always okay to read ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think that's it. Great. So you can check out more episodes at theterrortest.com or follow us on Twitter at the underscore terror underscore test. Pencils down. The terror test is over.